0: We have a lot to be thankful for. And um, on this July 4th weekend, as we celebrate and we give thanks for our freedoms, I want to talk to you about freedom, but I want to talk through it uh, through a different perspective, through a biblical understanding of what freedom really is all about. Inside your worship guide, you'll find a message outline. I want to invite you to take that out. And hopefully you have your Bible or your iPad or your iPhone there, and you're gonna be able to study some scriptures with me. And and I'm gonna get you to grab a pen that's located right there, hopefully in front of your chair. Um, in that little pocket in front of you where you can take some notes, underline some things, fill in some blanks as we talk about freedom this morning. Now, I'm going to start with a little story, but it's a true story. It's not a fake story. It's not a fictional story. It's a true story about a guy named Dave. Now, if you met Dave, you would like Dave. Dave is a guy who was born into a a good family, a very large family. He was the youngest of all the children. But very early on, just after his his, uh, young teen years, he was drafted into war. And through a series of events, he went off to war to fight, and he came home a national hero. He didn't expect the fame. He didn't expect people to know his name as he walked down the street, but Dave became a national hero. Now, as often happens with with people who get that kind of fame, he decided to go for political office, and he did so. And he won a political office, a very high ranking political office, and, and he had a lot of fame, he had a lot of fortune. He made good money, but most of all, and you would need to know this, Dave was a very dear, devoted follower of God. He tried to put God first in everything he had done, but there was a moment in his life where he fell. By the way, all God followers fall at some moment. This one happened to fall, and his biggest fall was after he became a national hero and after he ran for political office and won, It was in the height of his successes that he had a moral lapse. And here's how it happened for Dave. Dave had a one-night stand. He had an affair. It was only one night. But his one-night stand ended up in that young lady getting pregnant. And he was so afraid that other folks were going to come to find out that he did everything he could to hide it. For... 12 months, Dave walked around with baggage trying to hide it from everybody. He didn't want anybody to know what he had done. And it even got worse than that. Instead of him trying to hide his one-night affair and the child that was on the way, because he had power and because he had money, he did the unthinkable. He paid someone to kill the, the lady's husband, to take him out and he committed murder by paying somebody to kill the woman he had slept with. Now, I don't know about you, but think about this for a minute. Don't we all have some type of baggage? I came home from the beach last night. I left one suitcase packed. My wife kept saying, when are you going to unpack that suitcase? She didn't know I was using it as a sermon metaphor this morning. You know, We all want to unpack our junk, but the truth of the matter is, you probably came into church just like I did. We all have our junk. We all have our stuff in our suitcase, and everybody's got their their thing, their thing that nobody else knows about that was their moral labs. Now, not might not have been as big as Dave's. I mean, Dave's was huge. But think about the baggage that everybody on planet Earth walks around with. Everybody that walked into this church this morning has some secret baggage nobody else knows. And it is what it is. I mean, for some people, it's an addiction, and they don't want anybody to know it. It's what they carry around with them all the time. For some people, it's just an over out-of-control anger issue. They don't want people to know it, but the truth of the matter, it's there, okay? For some folks, it might be a relational failure, and they carry around that baggage with them everywhere they go. Now, the truth of the matter is, it's like that little thing in that baggage that becomes becomes like a, a slavery issue for us. It becomes a bondage. It's like the ball and chain that's attached to us, and wherever we go, we take it with us. Now, there's power in that secret. There's power in nobody knowing it. And that's one of Dave's biggest problems was he had tried to keep everything secret after he had a moral failure. But the truth of the matter is we do the very same thing. We don't want anybody to know. And here's the common denominator. Nobody knows about our secret. Today I want to talk to you about freedom. And I want to talk to you about what it really means to truly get free. Now, at the very top of your outline, I put a scripture that I bet everybody in this room's heard before. I want you to look at it with me. It's from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus said these words, and these, is very simple. We've read it before. We're going to read it again, and I'm going to get you to read it out loud. Would you say it out loud, full voice? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Say that one more time. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This morning, I want to talk to you about what Jesus meant, because the truth of the matter was, Jesus said that one time, and I even wonder if the folks sitting around him even understood what he said. It. As a matter of fact, according to the Gospels, just so that he could emphasize the point, just a little while later, he said it again, so that they would really understand it. Now, I've been a Christ follower for a good long time, not as long as some of you guys, but can I tell you that when I read this scripture, I thought to myself, okay, I can know the truth. The truth is Jesus, right? I can know the truth, and the truth, will Jesus set me free. I only understood it through a lens of Jesus being the truth and Jesus would set me free. But can I tell you that Jesus meant even more than that? Yes, he meant that when he said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But what I want to ask you about this morning is, do you really know how the truth can set you free? I mean, practically, applicably, do you know how the truth can actually set you free from bondage, from secrets? from past stuff, from failures. Do you know how that works? Now, here's the deal. When I start talking about baggage and everybody's got it, did you know that some of you guys started thinking about your baggage when you started getting uncomfortable? Right then, when I started talking about it, you're like, oh, I hope we don't have to think about that this morning. I hope we don't have to talk about that this morning. That thing inside of you, that emotional, visceral thing, reminds you that there's some stuff that you're not free of. And that if you really want to be free, here's the good news. There's hope. There's hope that can bring you freedom. And not only is it the dream that you would be free of it, that junk gone and out of your life, not only is the dream, the truth of the matter is, Jesus tells us it's possible. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you or set you free. So what I want to do this morning is, I just want to talk about that scripture. How does the truth, Set me free. You got your pen? I could probably put a bunch of points together to talk about how the truth says it's free. I want to focus in on three, and I'm going to go through them together, okay? First of all, write this one down. The first one is simply this. You must submit to the truth about life. Write that down. You want to really get free. You want to really uh, understand the freedom that truth brings in your life. You've got to submit to the truth about life. Now, by the way, does anybody know who David is? Anybody figured that out yet? Yeah, King David. That's right. King David in the Old Testament. Remember that guy, the one who threw the stone and took out Goliath? That's who I was talking about. And if you don't know the full story, I don't have time to tell you the full story today, but David was a national hero. And David was a pretty significant politician. And David did have a discretionary affair and decide to murder the husband of the woman that he slept with. For a period of time, David lived with that baggage in his life, quiet, nobody knowing it, wanting to keep it from everybody. You ever had a secret that you just wanted to keep from everybody and you wondered if it ever got out, what it would happen, and how bad you might look? That's where David was. I mean, he had a secret. He didn't want anybody to know because it would make him look so, so, so bad. And if you know the story, by the way, you can read it. 2 Samuel chapter 12, when Nathan comes along and Nathan tells him that God sends somebody to help David unpack his secret. But before that happens, when you read it through that scripture, it kind of seems not emotional. I mean, Nathan comes to David. He confronts him about his sin. David comes clean. You flip over to Psalm chapter 51. David, who is a songwriter, he actually writes a psalm about that moment in his life and I don't have it on the screens for, screens for you, but if you just flip over to Psalm chapter 51, let me just read these opening words when, when he cried out to God after he had finally come clean with his secret. He said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin... Is always before me. David was living with his sin always before him, trying to hide it, trying to not let anybody know that it was there. And finally, he came clean with God. He hid it. Now, think about this. Have you ever been hiding something before and inside you knew it was wrong? David was not, he had not confessed it to God. He'd not asked God for forgiveness. He was just living with the baggage. He was hiding the baggage. He was hoping nobody would see the sin in his life. And he was trying to make sure nobody found out. But the truth of the matter was, something deep inside him told him what he had done was wrong. You know, oftentimes we call that thing a conscience. You ever, you ever heard that before, a conscience? I can, let me just tell you my own story um, real quickly, one of my stories. I'll never forget uh, when I was a little boy, we were all visiting my, my, my granddad, who we called Paul. All right. We were visiting Pawpaw. Paw had no money. He lived. He was so poor. He didn't have running water in the house. He didn't. You had to go out back to the outhouse, if you know what I mean. Right. That was Pawpaw. I always felt sorry for Pawpaw because he just didn't have other stuff that so many people had. But let me tell you, Pawpaw was happy. (laughs) He was happy, though he didn't have anything. We stayed at Pawpaw's house one night so late as a child. I got so hungry I got so hungry. I wondered if my mom and dad were ever going to feed me again. I thought I was going to die of starvation. And while we were sitting in his living room, which was not much of a living room, I remember looking right up on top of the wall. There was not even a top to the wall where it met the ceiling. And he had a a box of Fig Newtons up there. And I remember thinking, if I could just have a fig newton. Oh, if I could just have a fig it would be so good. And so I asked my pawpaw. I said, pawpaw, can I have one of those fig newtons? He said, yes, you can have one of those. And my mom and my daddy, knowing how poor my pawpaw was, said, no, you're not going to get one of those. Don't worry. We'll feed you later on. Mom, dad, y'all have done that, right? Well, there came a time where they all left the room. And I did the unthinkable I stole a Fig Newton. Oh, my goodness. I hid it. I hid it. By the way, it's hard to hide a Fig Newton. They make a lot of noise. All right. It was in this little wrapper. I hid it under the back seat of the car because we had an hour-long trip going back home from Paw's house. And I remember telling Mom and Dad, I'm going to go to sleep in the back seat back there. And I was planning on opening up my Fig Newton and eating my Fig Newton back. I was going to have a buffet in the back seat. You know what I mean? Can I tell you, from the time I took the Fig Newton to the time where my daddy beat the pulp out of me, they heard the rapper in the back seat. <laughs> Can I tell you, all that time in between those two things, I had this bad stomach feeling. And I don't mean that I was hungry. I knew I was doing wrong. There was, some, I, there was beyond like a, a I, guess, I guess you would call it your conscience, Right? There was, I knew I was doing wrong and I knew I was choosing to do wrong and I knew mom and dad had said what was right but I knew I was choosing another way and there was this thing that I was hiding. There was this bad thing that I knew that I was doing when I stole the Fig Newton from my pawpaw. And I bet if we could go person to person to person to person to person to person every one of us have had a moment where we knew we were doing wrong and we had that thing deep inside of us that was telling us this is right and this is wrong, and I'm choosing to do wrong, but I want to hide it. I want to choose to go that way. Did you know God put that thing inside of you that tells you right and wrong? It's not there by accident. Your mom and daddy didn't they, they didn't have a pill and give it to you. God gave you that thing inside of you. But can I tell you what's more than that? Did you know that even if your conscience even if your conscience got warped and was all screwed up and messed up and and it was off-kilter and not following the right GPS, did you know that God says he shows us truth way beyond that? What are we talking about here in point number one? Go back to point number one. Submit to the truth about life. So did you know that truth is so important that God says he's going to put it all around us let me read to you from Psalm 19. I'm going to read from three different places. Psalm 19, verse 1. Read this with me real quickly. It says, this is, what, this is how, how big God thinks truth is and how much He wants to share truth. God says in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Did you see that word declare? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth Speech night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. What the psalmist is saying here is even by creation we can see the glory of God. Even by creation, we can see eternity, that God puts something awesome in place, that He is a good God. He's saying that voice is there for you, even beyond your conscience. The voice of truth is there for you in your life. This week, I was at the beach. I was at the ocean. You ever stood in front of the ocean and had a God thought? I mean, I stood before the ocean and I thought, God, that is so much water. Why did you plan to put it this way? I just thought about the vastness of the ocean and how God spanned uh, the, the, the different continents around. I was just having these big moments where I was thinking about how God plans things, how God puts things in order, and God's uh, His, His, His will to bring the earth into place. The ocean was speaking to me. It was crying out to me to think about God. A little bit further down in Psalm 19, listen to this. It says um, about how we understand truth. The law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is, would you say that word out loud? Perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, Giving insight to life. Perfect, trustworthy, right, and clear. These are God's commands, His truth. We we, we pick up the Bible, and basically this is what we say about the Bible. This is God's word for me. This is truth. And it says right there, the law of the Lord is perfect. It is trustworthy. It is right. It is clear. How cool is that, guys? We've been given God's word, and you don't have to worry about it. It's not right half the time and, 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 and wrong half the time. God's Word is perfect, trustworthy, right, and clear for us all the time. Now think about that. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4. The heavens, the trees, the oceans, the mountains are declaring the glory of God. His Word has been given to us. It is trustworthy. It is perfect. It is clear. It is right. And one more thing from Psalm chapter 19. That I would want you to know about how God's word works and his truth works in our life. Psalm 19. Your decrees are my treasure. They are truly my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your principles even forever to the very end. See, the psalmist is saying... I've come to love your word, your truth so much in my life. I've come to submit to your truth so much that I see there's a bigger picture than what I could come up with myself. I mean, a couple of metaphors here real quickly. Psalm 1 through 4, the heavens declare the glory of God. It reveals there's a big picture. I brought my phone with me this morning. You know, if I, if I showed you my phone, I'd know you'd have a couple of thoughts right away. Wow, iPhone, first thought. Second thought, huge, very big, right. But let me tell you a thought that I know you wouldn't have about my iPhone. Stephen, did you make that? Did you come up with that from scratch? No, I didn't, right? There's a designer. There's an architect for this phone. There's somebody who put it together. And that's Psalm 19, 1-4 says, there is a designer. There is an architect. and And he's put his creation out there and is speaking to you, speaking to you, speaking to you. Not only that, God has given you His Word. It's trustworthy. It's right. It's clear. It's perfect. Metaphor. Not my phone. Actually, this phone kind of would work as a metaphor, but think of a GPS for a minute. I have God's Word. God's Word's like a GPS. It has fixed points in it. You know that's what a GPS does, right? It has fixed points in it that help you navigate to a certain place. This is God's... GPS. It has fixed points, and this is perfect and clear. It's never wrong. It's guiding me to where God wants me to go. It's truth, but I've got to submit my life to the truth. And then finally, this one more time. Let's put that last. The psalmist said, This is this, there's a master designer. He said, Your word is true, it's clear, it's perfect, it's it's right. And then that last one he says, I love your law. I, I, I love it. I love everything about your law. Your decrees are my treasure. You might say, why? Why would the psalmist say that? Why why, Why is God's word his treasure? Why? Because this word keeps him from sinning. This word keeps him from being enslaved. This word leads him towards freedom. This word guides him to where God wants him to be. So you see, what God is saying is, listen, I gave you your conscience, but I've given you so much more. I've given you the trees and the mountains and the seas. I've given you all that to show you how big I am. I've given you my word to guide you along the way so that all along the way you'd have fixed points to know what is right and wrong. But the question is, have you submitted yourself to my truth? Have you really said, okay, God, this, this is truth. A couple of questions for you real quickly have you really studied the Bible? I mean, maybe there's a time in your life where you say, yeah, I studied it. Are you still studying the Bible? Are you really giving high value and credence to truth that God has given us truth in a book? Are you studying the truth? See, I think it's real easy sometimes to give mental assent to submitting to truth. But you only really are submitting to truth when you're studying God's GPS and you're really allowing this truth to impact your life. So have you studied God's word? A couple of learning points that I'm going to give you along the way. Would you got to fill in this blank real quickly? Here's something to remember about God's truth and how it affects me and the way I look at God's truth. Write this down. My view of truth will determine my value of truth. My view of truth will determine my value of truth. Now watch this. If I really believe that this is God's Word, that that He breathed this into existence and it's going to guide my life, if I truly believe this thing is a GPS that's going to help me navigate towards glory like God wants me to be navigating my life, then I'll have a high value for this. But if I say to myself, hey, this book's like, like a bunch of other books. It's just a bunch of archaic, you know, Religious teachings, it's probably got some truth in it, but I don't know that it's full of truth. If I don't really have a high value of that, then a high view of that, then I'm not going to have a high value of that in my life, right? Am I really going to be driven to ever study that book if it's just one of a bunch of other books that might be truthful? I don't know. One more time. Your view of truth will determine your value of truth. Now, here's the good news. I want to close with a couple of thoughts here. We're talking about submitting to the truth about life, okay? A couple of thoughts. You might want to write these down. Here's a couple of cool thoughts. The first thought is this. I don't have to wonder about truth. God's given it to me in a book. How cool is that? I don't have to wonder whether it's true. Here's another one. Write this one down. I don't have to go search for it. I mean, God put it in a book. God put it in a book. All I got to do is get the book. If I've got the book, I'm holding truth in my hand. So the question is, are you submitting your life to God's truth? Do you have a high value of God's word or a low value? What is your view of God's word? Can I just tell you, when I was a young Christian, I I read some scriptures in God's, God's word. And when I finally understood that God said in His Word that this book is different from any other book. There's a place in 2 Timothy, for example, where God says, this book is living and active. It's not, I never read another book that was living and active, right? It's living and active, that it pierces beyond bone and marrow straight to the spirit of a person, that it's a, breathing, a breathed document, that it is a living document. When I finally understood that, I thought to myself, this book is a lot different than any other book I've ever had before. And then I came to realize that when I pick up this book, something happens. I get an encounter with my father. He begins to talk to me, open my mind, help me understand. Let me one more time say this. What are we talking about? How can the truth really set me free? It starts with having an understanding of what is truth and submitting to the truth about life. Submit to the truth. Now, you got that one done. Let's talk about the second step. Fill this one in. Not just submit the truth, but show up with the truth in your life. Don't just submit to the truth. That's God's word, God's plan, that's God's big picture. Now it's show up with the truth in my life. Now that this is simply this: being honest about my life. It's coming clean. It's unpacking the suitcase. Now it's one thing. It's one thing to know. The Bible is true. But it's another thing altogether to then take my suitcase and put it on the table and say, okay, God, now I'm going to let your truth impact my junk, all right? I'm going to let your truth come clean with my stuff, all right? My hidden stuff that nobody else knows about that I've been trying to keep secret. I'm going to let your truth actually shine a light into that. By the way... Um, this is what happened with David. David was trying to hide it from everybody. He, his suitcase was shut tightly, and it might have had a little lock on the edges of it. David was trying to keep everybody out. God taps this guy named Nathan on the shoulder. He says, Nathan, I want you to go talk to David. I want David to come clean about his junk. Now, Nathan, if you read the scripture, Nathan's first response wasn't like, oh, great. I'd love to. Thank you, God. And that's not what he... He's reluctant at first. Nobody wants to go talk to somebody about their junk, you know? So he's reluctant at first. But Nathan obeys God. And he goes and meets with David. He tells him a story. That story reveals the sin in David's life. And then they have this encounter between the two of them. I'm going to say that differently. David's stuff would have stayed packed up in the suitcase unless... Nathan came to him and helped him unpack it, bring it out of the light, and that's what brought him freedom. David had to show up, show up to the truth in his life. He had to open up his stuff. Look at that scripture. The Bible says this, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I'm we'll gonna leave that up there for a few minutes because that's big scripture there, okay? Just gonna leave that there. Confess your sins to each other. That's actually what happened. Did you know that? When Nathan came to David and talked to him about his stuff in his suitcase, his, his affair, his murder, when he came to talk to him about that, it blows me away what happened. You remember what happened at all? David, when he realized that Nathan had, had knew about his stuff, And opened up his suitcase. Did you know that David didn't make excuses? He didn't blame somebody? That's that's what a lot of us would do. We'd start making excuses. or, Well, I'm sorry. You don't know. You didn't understand. This was going on. He didn't make any excuses. He didn't blame anybody. The first words out of David's mouth when his suitcase got open and Nathan was standing right there with him was, I have sinned before the Lord. First words out of his mouth. He didn't blame. That blows me away. He says, I have sinned before the Lord. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Stephen, are you really suggesting that I'm supposed to go to somebody and like do confession with them? That I'm supposed to take my suitcase and I'm supposed to, with them, kind of unpack my suitcase. Where's this thing at? Let's see. There it is. Are you saying that I'm supposed to go to somebody and confess that to them? Really? Let me tell you something real quickly. Some of you come from Catholic backgrounds. So that word confession has kind of a, had a connotation to you, Okay. So when you hear the word confession, you normally think of a place you go, okay? Maybe a little booth with somebody who's a professional clergy person, you know? And in that booth, you have a little bit of privacy, right? And you speak through the little screen. If, if that's, your, that's your image, right? And what I want to help you understand is that's not too far from what James 5 is all about, okay? There's a beauty in that confession. Now, I want to be honest with you. I don't think that's what James was saying. James wasn't saying, go to your priest or go to your pastor. Let me tell you what James was saying. James was saying, you have friends that love you. You have family that love you. You have people around you who care for you, who are God-fearers all around you. You have good people all around you. There's going to be some times in your life where you need to unpack the suitcase. And sometimes that might be with a professional person, you know, or a counselor or, or a priest or a pastor. But most of the time, can I just be honest with you? What I think James was talking about here was, you know what? We've lost, we've lost power because we've forgotten the power of confession. Of just opening our suitcase with somebody else and saying, Can I talk to you about my stuff? Can I talk to you about something? Notice what that scripture says Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's that word? Healed. Healed, you might want to underline that or circle that. Healed, see, here's where, here's what happens in confession when you, if you really want to get free, we got to talk about confession, okay? And we get when we really talk about that, what we're saying is that's where the healing comes from, Stephen. Wait a minute, I, I, why don't I just talk to God in private, right? I can just talk to God in private and I can get forgiveness of my sin. Can I tell you, that's exactly what happens when you talk with God in private. You do get forgiveness of your sin, and some healing can begin to happen. But with your pen, would you write that real quickly? Forgiveness comes from God, but healing comes from God and others. Have you ever thought about that? It's right there in James 5. See, forgiveness comes from God, but healing will come from God and from others. This is the way. This might be, by the way, this might be... Paradigm shifting for somebody in the room. I don't know here. But did you realize that if you really want to be healed of the stuff, that God wants you to confess it to somebody and in that place receive grace and healing for it? I'll tell you why in just a minute. But before I get there, first of all, just let the thought wash over you. Let the thought wash over you that in God's big plan, healing comes from you bringing it to somebody else. You might say, why? I'm going to tell you a few reasons why. But first of all, why, Stephen? Did you know that God wants us to be able to represent Him to one another? Did you know? I mean, in, in some ways, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm speaking from God's Word, but I'm hoping that the, the voice of the Lord comes into your life. And in, in this moment right now, I'm a representative of God's Word. And by the way, God does this all the time. He lets us represent himself to one another when we serve one another when we love one another when we when we're in fellowship and one of the things god wants to do is when we are when we've fallen and when we've sinned when we've stumbled when we've got our baggage when we've got our secret when we're pulling around our case he wants somebody else to come into our life to be his representative that will give us grace that will give us hope that will free us instead of us moving around otherwise hey why nathan Why did God send Nathan? Couldn't couldn't God just say, hey, David, let me deal with your suitcase. God sends Nathan to David so that Nathan would be his representative. I like to think of it this way. I'll give you another reason why God wants us to confess to one another. Sometimes it's a lot better when I hear grace and forgiveness through a person's voice than just through my own little mind. Are you with me? It's totally different for me to say, hey, here's where I messed up. Here's my misstep. Here's where I failed. Here's where I sinned. And to hear somebody else say, and God has forgiven you. Did you know that right after David said those words, I have sinned against the Lord, you know, the next words out of Nathan's mouth, he says, and the Lord has forgiven you and he has spared your life. Grace right out of Nathan's mouth right after David speaks. Are you tracking with me? Stephen, seriously, nobody wants to unpack their stuff with somebody else. Guys, I believe that's one of the reasons we have so much dysfunction on this planet, and even dysfunction in Christian circles and in the church. Christians have forgotten the power of confession when we mess up. By the way, anybody in the room ever not messed up, right? We've all messed up. We're all sinners, and when you really learn how to confess your stuff, all of a sudden, now you're open to being something different. You can be a sinner, saved by grace. When you really begin to say, okay, I'm just human and I've messed up. And see, God shows us something here through James. He says, you want healing? Confess your sin to one another. Confess your sin and, and bring it out into the open. Look at Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. If you hide your sins you will not succeed. If you confess and reject them, you will receive mercy. By the way, that's a promise and a warning. The first part's a warning. All right. There's the warning. If you hide your sins, David, you will not succeed. If you put on your suitcase and hide it, you will not succeed. But if you confess and reject them, then you will receive mercy. Mercy from who, by the way? I believe you will receive mercy from God and you'll even receive mercy from others. There's a beauty in that, by the way. So what is this thing about the truth setting us free? You can't be truthful if your suitcase is still packed, right? You can say all day, oh, yeah, I like the truth. The truth is good stuff. And pretend you don't have junk in your bag, okay? But if you're really ever going to have the truth set you free, you've got to submit to God's truth. And then you've got to be willing to let God's truth Open up to you about your stuff. you got to be willing to open up your stuff. And let God begin to have His say about your stuff. A couple of final thoughts here. Look at this uh, couple of things I want you to write down. I didn't even get them all in your notes here. First of all, write this one down. Confession breaks the cycle of self-deception. Confession breaks the cycle of self-deception. What do you mean by that, Stephen? Anytime you're trying to hide your stuff, anytime you're trying to keep your suitcase closed and not show it to anybody, there's always a lie you're telling yourself about that stuff, okay? So let's just say it happened, you're telling yourself, you know, I don't want to let anybody know about this because of, and then you've got your lie, okay? It can be, you can have a lie about yourself and your worth, it could be a lie about God and God won't forgive me. It could be a lie about other people. They, they'll never trust me again. They'll look at me totally different. They'll never, you know, they, they, won't, they won't receive me with grace. And you could tell yourself any lot, number of lies. It could be about your past. You could be telling yourself a lie. Well, I'll just, I'm just going to carry this around me and you tell yourself a lie about your past and you're not worthy to be forgiven. this Or you can tell yourself a lie about your future. There's so many lies, but here's the deal. When you open up, and you confess, in that moment, you break the power of the lie. You break the power of the lie that you've been telling yourself all those years. You break the power of that, and you trust somebody with your stuff. By the way, here's another piece of that confession. Did you know that confession reduces the power of a secret? You might want to write that down somewhere. Confession reduces the power of a secret that you've been holding on to. When you open that thing up, all of a sudden it doesn't have nearly the power it used to have over your life. Now, you're being freed. You're moving towards freedom because it doesn't have the grip it used to have on you because it was just a secret. And then then one more, I guess, thought there is the, the purpose of the confession. The purpose of confession is not disgrace. It's never disgrace. It's never that you would say, oh, here's my stuff, and that somebody would say, oh, I can't believe you did that, or I can't believe you thought that, or I can't believe you... It's, It's never about that. The purpose of confession is not disgrace. The purpose of confession is grace. That you would come clean and that somebody would offer you grace. This is what it's all about. So Stephen, how does the truth, if I know the truth, how can it set me free? Well, the first thing is you have to say, you know what? I submit that there is truth on this planet. I submit that God put truth in my conscience. I I submit that God put truth in the trees and the mountains, and they're pointing me the way to Him. I submit that God put truth in a book. I submit my life to truth. I believe that there is a holy God who has a certain way for me to live. But the second step is... Coming clean with your stuff and opening up your stuff and then letting somebody else into that world, confessing the secret, bring it out, and then praying for that forgiveness. You want healing? James 5 is very clear. You want healing? Healing comes by confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another. Got your pen? I'm going to kind of go off the radar here now on one third point about how truth frees us, okay? And the, first, the third one is this. Speak out with the truth in your friend's life. Speak out with the truth in your friend's life. Stephen, what are you saying there? When you see somebody's walking around with some stuff that, that you know is not good for them and they're hiding it from everybody else, it's time for you or somebody needs to speak truth in their life. Now, real quickly, I am not talking about small issues here. I'm talking about big issues, all right? You ever been walking around somewhere and saw somebody with their zipper down, you know, and you thought, well, oh, I wonder if I need to tell them, you know, and, and you thought to yourself, well, somebody else is going to tell them, you know, or maybe you were that bold person who stepped up and said, hey, 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 your zipper's down, you know. You ever seen that person with broccoli in their teeth before and you thought to yourself, oh, my gosh, <laughs> and, you, and, and, and you hope to yourself, you know, should I say something or will somebody else say something? I mean, that got a big, you know, missing tooth because it's so much. By the way, those are not the kind of things I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about small little things like zippers down and broccolis in your teeth. I'm talking about big things. I'm talking about things that can wreck somebody's life. I'm talking about somebody who's walking in a way that you know is going to lead to their destruction or their unhappiness. And are you bold enough to speak out in that moment? This is where we learn from Nathan. See, God sent Nathan to go speak out to his friend. And David was going to be forgiven and he was going to be healed. But David was in a hiding place, and he was not going to move out of that hiding place by himself. So God sends Nathan his way. So real quickly, just, um, with your, just kind of reading this with me real quickly. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.15, how are we supposed to do this when God calls us to go to somebody? Instead, as we lovingly speak the truth, you might want to underline those four words. Lovingly speak the truth, we will grow up completely in our relationship to Christ, who is the head. So the answer to the question is, how do you speak the truth to somebody when they don't even want to face the truth and they're trying to hide it? You speak the truth in love. You do it lovingly with grace. Here's another learning point. We must hold truth and grace in balance. We must hold truth and grace-filled, loving words in balance as God calls us to go to that person and share with them what we believe is the truth. You know what? I've I've got children, and my children know that I love them. They know that I would die for them. But I would be a very cruel person if I saw them making poor choices or doing the wrong thing or hiding stuff if I didn't go to them and try to call them out on it. And how do you do that as a dad? How do you do that as a friend? There it is in the Bible. You balance, in the name of Jesus, try to balance that truth thing with the grace thing, the love thing. I think that's exactly what Nathan tried to do. I think Nathan tried to come to to David. matter of fact, I know he did. He didn't come to David and say, Hey, David, I heard you slept with Bathsheba, and I heard you killed Uriah. You know what he did? He prayed about it, and he came up with this story about sheep, and he came up with this totally different way of coming around about it because he wanted David's conscience to be pricked before he ever got to saying That's you, David. You're the one who did this. I mean, this guy tried to do it with all the truth and all the love and all the grace he could. Read a couple of scriptures with me from Proverbs. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Look at Proverbs 28, 23. Honest correction is appreciated more than flattery. So if you know of somebody in your life that is, needs a word of truth, you see them going down a path that you just don't think is a wise path, God might be calling you to go to them, to be the Nathan in their life, so that the truth would come into their world and the truth would set them free. So Stephen, how do you do that? A couple of application points here real quickly. Real quick, application. Flip that outline over. On the very back, I've given you some application points. If God is calling calling you towards going to somebody and trying to share with them a word that would free them, what are the things? I've put them all here on the board together, so I just want to kind of read them all together. The first one is this. Get clear about the issue. I mean, know that you know that you know what issue God's calling you to go and share with them. I mean, is it something that is unbiblical in their life? Is it something that is unmoral? or immoral? Is it something that you believe is unwise? What is the thing? If you don't get clear on the issue, you can go over there and talk to them about their personality and the way they said this or did that. No, no, no. You need to get really clear about the real issue and zero in on the real issue that is there with them, okay? So get clear on the real issue. The second thing uh, is this. Ask God if you are the one to address the issue. You might be the one, but you might not be the one that's supposed to go and address the issue. Let me tell you how I know you're not the one, okay? Pretty much. If, if uh, you feel like all of a sudden you feel like uh, maybe God, maybe, you know, I don't know whether it's a burrito or you think God's talking to you and you think to yourself, man, I see them messing up and I wanna be the one to set them straight. You know, if, if that's what you got going on in your mind, you're probably not the right one, okay? There was a woman one time who came to John Wesley, the the guy who started the Methodist Church, and she said to John Wesley, she said, "Uh, uh, Reverend Wesley, I found my spiritual gift. I figured out that I have the power to speak my mind. And John Wesley looked at her and said, hey, lady, some things, God's okay with some gifts being buried. Maybe you ought to bury that one, okay? If you're just trying to go and speak your mind to somebody because you want, you've seen them, listen, you're probably not the right person. But if God taps you on the shoulder or you feel like God might be tapping you on the shoulder and there is a reluctance in you and you say, oh, God, let somebody else be that person. I, 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 oh, God, I don't know that I can do that. Then God's probably tapping you on the shoulder and he's saying, listen, I want you to go and I want you to talk to them about that thing going on in their life, that unbiblical, that immoral, that unwise, whatever it is that thing, I want you to go. Can I tell you guys, listen, one more time, I'm going to say it. I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. I think this is part of the reason we've got, the church has lost its way sometimes. There is power in this kind of confession, and there's also power in this kind of accountability when God calls us to go one to another and say, hey, just forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I see something going on in your world. I I, I love you enough to say that I see a train wreck coming. So you get clear about the issue. You ask God if you're the one to address the issue. And then look at this next one. You address the issue in person and in private. You don't ever do anything public. You don't want you, Listen, what is the point of this moment? It is, grace, it is grace, not disgrace. So you don't want to humiliate them. You don't want to embarrass them. You go to them in person and private. You, you're gentle and you're honest. Boy, I see Nathan doing that. He's gentle. He's honest. He's real. And then look at that last one. You follow up. You don't unload and then abandon. Oh, God told me to share you this. And and then you share it and then you just go away and you act like you 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 don't... No, this is where the ball is dropped more times than not. Because if God calls you to go to somebody and share that you, you see something going on in their world, listen, when you go off again, don't you realize that very soon you need to go back again and just check and say, hey, are we okay? Are we okay? I want to make sure we're okay. Because listen... That was just a moment that God had here. I want to make sure our friendship, because you want your friendship to keep going, right? You don't want to let that one moment stop. And the ball gets dropped right there because people don't follow back up. Okay, so I've shared with you a few thoughts about how the truth can set us free. Go back to that first scripture, right? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I want you to think about that for a minute. How does that happen? I've given you some practical ways about how that happens today. You submit to the truth in your life. You show up and you find a way to unpack your suitcase with somebody, a trusted friend, a family member. Hey, listen, I'm your pastor. I'll be here for you. Come and I'll unpack it with you. Because when, as soon as you unpack stuff, what happens is it, it no longer has the slavery over you. You move towards freedom, right? And when God's calling you to go to somebody, go to them in truth and in love. This morning, I just wanted, I don't know what God's doing in people's life. I just don't. I have prayed that God would speak his word in us and everybody has their own thing going on. Everybody's got their different suitcase. Everybody's got their different networks of relationships around them. But for a few moments at the close of this message today, what I just felt led to do weeks ago was just to open up the altar I can't even tell you what to come and do at the altar. I don't know. Maybe you would come and just say, God, would you reveal to me the person that I need to go and open up my suitcase to? Maybe you would come and you would say, God, I feel like you're calling me to reach out to so and so. Remember that? Did you see that little blank at the bottom? I love this person so much that I'm not willing to let them keep going down that destructive path. I will go to them. Is there a person God might be tapping you on the shoulder? It could be your child. It could be your mama. <laughs> it could be a coworker or a boss. Is there somebody God's calling you to go towards and talk to? I don't know, but here's what I do know: I do know that God and I prompted me just to open up the altar this morning. Someone invite you. Come, talk with God. Allow some open space. What would God want to free you from? And how might that truth set you free? What would you do to move towards freedom? Come for the altar's open. You're invited to come.